Aguilar, Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to the Mulecast. Good evening. Good evening. Um, we've been away for a while, so we've a lot to co- cover. And in particular, we want to get stuck right into the aftermath of the three rounds of interprovincial fixtures uh, as part of the Pro 14 schedule. Uh, everyone got to win a game, at least. Um, some teams got to win the two. Munster and Leinster both, both won two. And um, the games involving Connacht were generally very good. But there were a lot of games that weren't particularly good. Uh, most notable among them, I would say, would be uh, Leinster versus Ulster at the weekend, in which an understrength Ulster team got it like one of the Mister a Mister Burns style thrashing from <laughs> from from the Richos at Leinster, um, and it led to some questions about the uh, strength and the integrity of the league. I want to know, do you think there is any a problem with the integrity of the Pro 14 as the Irish uh, squads rotate so heavily? No, I, I, I don't think that uh, integrity is is a problem. I think the standard of the league is a problem. Um, uh, not not an insurmountable problem, but it is it is a problem this season. I think... The addition of the two South African teams, and I, I don't want to make scapegoats of them, but uh, it's a it, the the, the uh, Pro Twelve as was was a, a a bit of a mongrel league in that it took in uh, teams from so many different countries, um, but it had legitimacy in that there were all Six Nations members. Whereas the addition of the African teams was done. Uh, to my eyes, purely on a, on a monetary basis, and the standard while the cheaters were were quite good last year, the standard of the two South African teams this year has been extremely low. So you've we've added two poor teams to a league, which has resulted in a changed um, system of of two conferences, which is uh, I, I don't find it very satisfying, um, and. I find the fact that teams have different numbers of home and away games in the regular season unsatisfying. And the standard of the league has disimproved by the addition of, of two bad teams. How that stands in relationship to the Irish Interpros, I don't think it has necessarily has a reflection on the Irish standards. With three Interpros in a row, there's always going to be one fixture where um where one of the provinces feels a weaker team than the other they're coming off two uh heineken cup games and going into two heineken cup games and the idea that they're just going to play their strongest team for seven games in a row if if that's what anybody is is um expecting then they've i, I don't know what they've been watching for 15 years and 
I think the Irish teams manage their, their international players the best. And I think Irish rugby probably has the best relationship between uh, the international game and the club game. Um, I think the South African teams, like the South African teams, the Cheetahs are still in, like the Kings, the Cheetahs are still in two competitions. And they play two competitions at the same time, where at the beginning of the Northern Hemisphere team season, excuse me, they're playing Curry Cup. So... You know, something that's been mooted is that uh, you know the coordinated season, um, and ult- and ultimately it it sort of comes it's player welfare it comes back to that idea of player welfare. So the team, the guys who are playing at the sharp end of the Heineken Cup, the guys who are shouldering the burden are going to for each of their teams are going to be going into the Six Nations, which is um, the biggest tournament in the Northern Hemisphere. And, you know, we, we have this discussion on a sort of a regular basis, um, maybe not on air, but just like, you know, where does the World Cup sit in relation to the Six Nations for, for Irish rugby? And, you know, you can sort of argue, oh, is it a justification that we've never won or never even played particularly well or, you know, competed particularly well in, in a World Cup? Um, are we too parochial about looking at the Six Nations? But, I mean, the Six Nations is a huge social event like it's it's about the clubs and it's it's pretty much any big spectator sport is really sorry not about the clubs it's it's about the spec it's about the fans and the six nations has that like does that so well the fact that the stadiums are often in the middle of the cities because the cities aren't particularly big um and the fact that the cities that are big um and i think in london and paris uh, rome while it's you know great capital isn't a particularly big isn't a particularly big place or sort of ancient rome like the, the center of rome the bit that you and i the bit that i think of as as rome and maybe it's surrounded by loads and loads of bursts, but like you can you can sort of easily access the stadio olimpico from just using the bus and the train um, and walking around the place, and it lends itself to the end of winter, at the beginning of summer. And I suppose I'm going on about this because it's so obvious. Because um, I I just feel the kind of game is up for grabs at the moment, and that that that's moving off the point, right? So the point is, do sorry, what's in question? Um, well, just a couple of years ago, we had. Uh, we had two rounds of Interpros at Christmas and the team who had a home game would send out the strong team uh, and then the following week would have an away game or, or vice versa and they'd send their rotated team and it would just be a case of a couple of uh, obvious home wins. And there's three r- rounds this time. So Leicester have sent out three different out halves in three different games and they've rotated... Leicester hugely squad, rotated their squad. Through their squad and played... Like the game against Munster, obviously they played a very strong team, but not their absolute first choice. And uh, in the the games against Connacht and Ulster, they used the rest of their squad. I and I think that's important, and and also the you know when we talked about what's the most important part of rugby there, and we covered it quite a lot briefly. The Six Nations has primacy, and then you have the Heineken Cup. And this is from an Irish point of view, and then you have the league, and that's how those uh, competitions—that's the the order in which they arrived at. You know, the Six Nations is a very, very old competition. The Heineken Cup is not an old competition, but 
first in, in 1995, first edition, and then the Celtic League came about in 2001. And the Celtic League is the lowest standard, or was the lowest standard and still is. And how Irish rugby works is, is that it works holistically for us, in that younger players get more opportunities in the Celtic League, the Pro 14 now, and then if they're if they have uh, the ability that they go up to the Heineken Cup, and then if they show well in that, then you get it into the mix for international competition. So I don't think that uh, I think that there's a sort of a Welsh idea that the league should be like the Premiership, the or the, where it's always the best teams playing each other all the time, and that. You know, you're essentially choosing, um, you know, a match day squad that is very similar week in, week out. Uh, and in that way, the Irish Union would be cutting its, not its nose off despite its face, would be cutting its feet off. It relies on uh, the Pro 14 to expose younger players to professional rugby. That's a really big part of its it's remit and it's it's a it, it works extremely well for us talking to somebody recently who was uh, an Ulster fan who was who was back home he lives in Australia and we were talking about the nature of Australian rugby and how for years and years and years they've tried to introduce a third level which would you know be the equivalent of the curry cup or the uh, National Provincial Championship in New Zealand. That is the Pro 14. And it's a successful system. So integrity, I don't think the integrity is a problem. I think that teams, um, the teams that are selected go out to win. I don't blame coaches for selecting teams to target matches. I think that's a pragmatic approach. But... but I don't think that the league is particularly competitive this year. Now, I'd, I'd, I'd there's, not, there's a, a long time to go. I'd take a bit of issue at that because we're talking about the Premiership as though the Premiership has a sort of... So the Premiership has Exeter on top after 12 games, 51 points. Saracens on 47. They both won 10 matches. Then there's a gap of 14 points to Harlequins on 33 points. And then you go down to... Like, where do you go down to? Where, where do you stop? Like, Newcastle are on the bottom on 17. Um, so it's another 12 points down to Worcester. So it's 14 points from third to second. It's 12 points from third to 11th. So there I, is, I, like, the, the, there's a gap. The, there's a huge gap. But the, there's two teams that yeah. dominate in... Well, I take your point, but I, and I also ex- don't think that that league is competitive this year. Whereas you look at the pro, like, so Leinster are miles out ahead in Conference B, and then you've got Edinburgh on second on 35 points, and you've got Ulster on fifth in that pool on 33 points. And Benetton are on 35 points, and Scarlets are on 34. So, I mean, Benetton is, is one of the great stories of the year. Like, it would mm. be great. I think it would be great. But whoever, look, whoever finishes in the top two will deserve it. I personally would think it would be great for the Italian rugby because people have been knocking Italian rugby for a long time. And I, I would like to see them do well. Um, and 
with Italian players. Whereas Munster have overtaken Glasgow, and it looked like Glasgow had sprinted away, and, and Ospreys and Connacht are on 37, and Cardiff are, you know, within a shout on 32 points. So, like, you've got, you've got five teams within touching distance. That's a good, that's a fair point. Of the playoffs. So, I don't think you can sort of poke too many holes in the integrity of the league. I think, I think what hacks off people who aren't from Leinster is how strong Leinster are and how many players they can rotate. And I thought... Um, what can you say? <laughs> it is what it is. The Scarlets do well out of that with Tyburn. Munster do well out of that with, I don't know, six, <laughs> six or seven players. Connacht do well out of it. Um, Ulster. Ulster have done well about it with Marty Moore and Jordy Murphy. Like, it isn't, it isn't a perfectly balanced, it isn't perfectly equitable, but, I mean, I don't know, split it into two or whatever. But the fact is, and the fact is, Leinster weren't always that good. And, you know, very recently they'd lost home and away to the Dragons in Matt O'Connor's second season. So they just happen to have their house in order at the moment. The um, It begs the question, and I, I feel like maybe we're responding some in some way to tinfoil hat wearing uh, Twitter cranks. But where else would professional rugby in Wales and Scotland and Italy go if it wasn't for the Pro 14? No, they they don't have options, and there is no um, that that canard was was. I don't know. You can't disprove a canard. I don't know what there was. The Welsh made uh, puppy dog eyes at the at the Premiership when the big reorganisation of the Champions Cup was going on, and the English clubs weren't interested in inviting the Welsh clubs into the Premiership. There is there is no other option for Wales. There is no other option for Scotland, and uh, there is no other option for Italy. Italy at least would have the option of playing amongst itself. But the Italians do. I mean, the Italians have that their own. I don't know, fourth tier, third tier. Like, there's there's more senior rugby players in Italy than there is in Ireland, um, and that sort of. I don't know, the top 10 league, whatever it's called, in Italy, has a lot of guys playing semi-pro. It's a reasonable standard. It's They get reasonable crowds. Uh, like, it's a big sort of local deal. But, the, like, it's never going to produce good enough players to play at an international level. And, like, the thing is, so many, like, even the premiership clubs, and we, we talked about the figure of 200 million, like, even the premiership clubs get handouts from the unions. Like, the un- international game subsidizes everything else. And any sort of idea that people have that the clubs are going to be self-financing, rugby's too small, the crowds are too small, the players get paid too much for the, the size of the crowds, uh, unless international rugby spot, uh, pays for it. Let's address a couple of specific issues from the games over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, Leinster lost their heads big time down in Munster in Tompen Park. We were having a little discussion about it in the aftermath. And um, you had a theory as to perhaps why the the fire in their belly was (laughs) renewed. I think a certain doctor had a light in his corazon for, (laughs) for Leinster rugby. I only thought about it a number of weeks after uh, or a number of days after when just quite how bad Leinster's discipline was that Felipe Contiponi must have been absolutely bouncing around the walls of the bus 
on the way down to Thomas, going, where is Leamy? Like, a man who was the absolute... You know, so Munster and Leinster have their rivalries. Munster were delighted to beat Leinster, but, you know, it's all the greater good and the green team, and there's been so much crossover with the playing. Felipe Contaponi was never any of that. Felipe Contaponi did not like a number of the Irish players when he played for Argentina, and... He certainly didn't like Leamy and a few of the other Munster players uh, by appearance for uh, when he played for Leinster. And I, I think that bringing a guy with so much personality and so much charisma in for Gervin Dempsey, like Felipe and Gervin are very, very different personalities. And it was it was the most ill-disciplined, the most fired up, the most ragged Leinster performance in a in a big game like Leinster have and that's not to excuse Munster were the better team Munster played the occasion Munster deserved to win all that sort of stuff but then you sort of go look it was a mid-season match down at Thoman Park Munster got far far more out of it winning that one and you certainly look at the teams that they picked around it I mean Munster sacrificed the Ulster match up in Ravenhill picking the team that they picked uh, against that Ulster team they really targeted um, and they had to balance it out and they you know, playing against Connacht because, like, that Connacht match was that was a real potentially a huge I banana bigger. Beer. I think the Connacht match was a bigger win for Munster. And Amani didn't play against Leinster, and he did play against uh, he did play against Connacht. So, um, I would say that Munster would have to be the happiest from the Christmas turnaround. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, because the. When you look at the uh, the conference table, conference A table now, as compared to what it was heading into um, heading into the the middle weekend of the Interpros, at that stage, uh, Munster were second and Connacht were third. There were three points between the sides, and you were looking at Munster, who had just lost, uh, albeit with a. Uh, a weekend selection against Ulster. They were heading into a game against Leinster, which you know was a was a fifty fifty game, which was which is rare for anybody going to Thomond Park. A lot of sides have sent down teams to be beaten down there, and then you were looking at okay, then they have have Connacht, who are you know in, in really good form. Yeah, like the game that they played against Leinster was the best of the Interpros until the game they played against Munster. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Connacht are in the best games. Munster got the best results. Um, and Leinster and Ulster... <laughs> Leinster got a lot of yellow cards. Got a lot of yellow cards. And uh, and Ulster are, Ulster are rebuilding. And, you know, they that's not, that's not like a long... It's not Ulster in transition. Like, Ulster just completely collapsed last season. And... They lost a lot of players at the end of that season. McFarland has shed a lot of players already in this season. So they are just flat out rebuilding it. I I couldn't I wouldn't at all complain about the team that uh Ulster sent down to um the RDS because they do not have significant depth in their squad. You know, they have to start at a at a relatively low base. I think McFarland is is selecting the right players largely. Um, I want to say largely. I mean, almost. I find it difficult to disagree with many of his selections. Like I, mo- I might have had a quibble there about picking Hume at twelve and Cave at thirteen, 
rather than giving Hume the start in his, his better position of, of 13, he was the more effective of the two centres. But other than that, like those are the guys that he has to he has to sort of that's the hand he has to deal from and they're also the players he has to invest time in and there are players who are going to be good players in that young Ulster team I think uh, Dalton the second row had a for you know he didn't really play at all last season um, or even much at the start of this season you know he did quite a Quite an impressive game for such a young second row. Certainly very busy. thought James Hume showed why he's highly rated. He had a couple of lovely breaks. He's really quick off the mark. Yeah, uh, Hume, Hume's pace really caught my eye. Yeah. I, he, made, he made one break, and for some reason he slowed down and looked to pass it. And you're just there thinking, why do yeah. you just keep going? Like, just, you, you're burning everyone here. Yeah. And the fact that he's playing it, again, like the fact that he's playing inside center, I thought, ooh, Nah, like put that put that guy at thirteen. Yeah, I think he's Angus, a thirteen. Like he like is a thirteen. Angus uh, Kernahan. No, 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 not the other day. Um, Curtis. Yeah, he's a super twelve. Angus Curtis is the twelve. Like Angus Curtis yeah. was. I thought he was my favorite player in the twenties last year. And, and I was looking at Curtis and Hume, and you're going like, "There's two good young centers." So, like, yeah. so here you get to the thing about like you know, oh, the league and do they play weakened teams? Connacht really missed Bundy against Monster. Monster. Yeah. But Tom Daly then played. And Tom Daly's been in and around Leinster, more around Leinster, yeah. for six years yeah, um, without getting any matches. He has the opportunity to move over and play first-team rugby and at least sort of know that when is it, you know, when is any the guy's captain of the Irish seven team, uh, the guy's... He's been man to match. As man a, to match in Qualified as a physios. He's, yeah. you know, he's under 20s inter-pro. He won't be in I-Cup. So, like, he's... he's, he's He's had a career. Yeah. And just can he play that pro 14 level? Can he do that sort of starting level? But Bundy was a big loss for Connacht. Um, I thought Conor O'Brien stepped up significantly to what he'd done in previous matches. Like I, like I saw Conor O'Brien play in school and he really stood out. He seemed to have miles more time than the other players on the pitch. Um, that was in that... It was by that, chance. I went down to meet a mate and have a pint uh, watching the Leinster... Uh, schoolboys play against the Aussie schoolboys. Yeah. James Ryan was playing. Josh, like James Ryan was a fifth year. Josh me is all that good. James Ryan, you know, can't wait till he's, you know, three years older. I can pick up for Ireland. <laughs> Josh Smith's son, Tim, was playing. So that was one of the reasons he was mm. there. That and James Ryan. Uh, Timoney was playing and Connor O'Brien. They're the names that I remember. Ross Byrne might have been in around that that sort of age. Yeah, it's the right but, age group. Yeah. Connor, Connor O'Brien. And I thought Connor O'Brien looked. Uh, could have shifted himself a bit more playing for Leinster in earlier seasons. He, he looked a bit loose, but I thought he looked particularly good playing. Like he, he's a big bloke, yeah, and he's got good balance and he's got a huge left foot he, as well. He's able, like, he, he looks for offloads, and you're sort of thinking, God, I mean, if, if that guy gets used to playing with James Lowe and Ringrose and develops as I think he's capable of developing, you're going to see some lovely offloads. Like, you're talking about a big ball playing centre. Uh, capable of playing 12 and 13 so th- there's another guy that gets an opportunity to play when you don't avoid your first team guys mm. and that's great I thought for I thought for Munster I couldn't get like I couldn't understand why Albie Matthewson is still playing in Ireland if Conor Murray is back playing and Munster have five scrum halves I just don't get it like he's, he's in there as a medical joker I felt sorry for Connacht that they miss Bundyaki and they're getting some guy who's you know from a Leinster waiver and 
Munster are playing with Albie Matheson and then Conor Murray. Yeah. And like Conor Murray, just like a, an orchestra conductor, just winding down that entire, just controlling that match. Like Conor Murray is, is so good. And that's the other thing. Like when you see the international players play with sort of normal pros, like I mean, pros. Yeah. You just start going. And like Murray isn't even an international player. Like Murray's, he hasn't, but he wasn't nominated for the World Player of the Year. But like Conor Murray is, is on the Lions team. If there's a Lions test team, yeah. Conor he's, Murray's, he's, he's just, automatically in, in that he's, world world class bracket yeah. for a long time uh, he's now. He's so good, but I couldn't understand how they had an all black. Uh, like he's not he's not eligible to play for Ireland. So that's that. And then I suppose my other, uh, Joey Carberry scored a try and you're like, oh man, that guy is so good. But he, he scored in the backfield. And this is, so like, this is just my bias, but I'm just still not convinced that Joey Carberry is a better 10 than 15. Yeah, you've always I don't said think, that. I don't think he's a classic 15, but I just think you get more out of his ability when you have another playmaker, not even a play, like just a, a, an organizer. So then the last bit of this was uh, the Frawley. So Frawley and Felipe are my sort of two Leinster number 10s. And Frawley, for, you wouldn't have noticed it, but Frawley got injured last year during the Six Nations. So he just didn't play. He, he, he played one or two matches around it, but he missed a block of minutes when Sexton's definitely going to be away. And Ross Byrne, and I can't remember if Carberry played. Carberry wouldn't have played much, but Ross Byrne played a lot. And then... Uh, Frawley got injured at the beginning of this season, having played a bit of preseason. So again, he missed another bit of block a minute. Sexton and Ross Byrne had been away. Sexton was never going to... He played one or two early matches, but they had to sort of sh- shoehorn. They had to get Ross Byrne back in. And they played no read at 10. And they played reader at 10. Yeah. Um, so now Frawley came back early, didn't he? Yeah, Ross Byrne came back early. So now Frawley's getting minutes and like he missed two kicks from penalties where he was trying to... like he just Just poor poor kicks that you can do at 20s um you can't even do it under 20s like you shouldn't be doing that at under 20s level and uh but some like one of his kicks in particular where he took the ball going left to right from a scrum he was on the right hand half of the pitch as you sort of if you run it vertically and he kicked it right to left over the ulster right mm. winger's head in between the five and the touchline and you're there gone gifted yeah, he's like, got a really good he's, range. He's an of kicking. incredible striker of the yeah. ball, and in discussion, the kicking out has it's a bit of a lost, it's a bit of a lost art, and it's such a big, it's such a big part of that position. And Ronan Lagaro was so good at it that we grew up in Ireland, sort of assuming that all out halves. I mean, I grew up sort of assuming all out halves can kick, and Johnny Sexton has become so good at it, and he, you know, he was okay. But he wasn't as good as Rod. But like in the last three or four seasons, like Sexton's everything that Sexton's done, but particularly his his kicking out of hand is really good. So Leinster have two good well, I, I kicking think, out halves. Uh, yeah, I think Frawley's still. I think that's a, a a really good point. One of the things which is really strong about uh, Ross Burns' game is, and it sounds like something which every out half should be good at, but most of them aren't, is getting really good length of penalty touch finders. Like Ross Byrne is particularly good at that. Leinster rarely have, if they decide to go down the line rather than attempt to kick a goal, they're generally within about 10 metres of the uh, opposition goal line for their next line out. You know, it's it's something to be said. Was it, he, he doesn't miss kicks to touch. Like Sexton missed one at the start of the um, the Munster game. Carberry missed one as well. Frawley missed two recently. Ross Byrne doesn't miss those. Again, it's it's it seems like a... It seems like something that should be a given, but it's not. Also, when we go back to talking about out-half play, 
um, the uh, and especially sorry, Carberry's play at out half. Um, Munster were, I think they played against fourteen men for the guts of an hour, maybe fifty eight or fifty nine minutes against Leinster, and obviously there was a number of times when they opted to take a shot at goal and Carberry kick points and they got the win and you can say and um, that that was the right thing to to do because the ends justified the means but Munster were attacking a, a backline which was one down for the entire second half and 10 minutes of the first half and they didn't particularly make hay out of it I thought that the first time if I recall correctly that they cross-kicked was when Tyler Blaindahl came on with nine minutes to go, put a cross kick onto the occupied wing, actually onto Sweeten was on then. Um, but it, it, in terms of uh, how they attack, there's still, there's still a lot of work there to be done, I think. The score from an intercept. Score from an intercept that Frawley gave away. So it's that exposure to to a, a higher pace game, a, a better class quality of player. Again, like Earls is the Irish player of the year, uh, the reigning one. Um, so that that was a sort of a, an exposure. It's a big step up for him, um, and it, it changes it changes Ross Byrne's kind of perspective. The other thing, I mean, Ross Byrne came on against Bath. Johnny Sexton was on the pitch. He's probably hobbling again, injured, but. When Leinster got that penalty that they needed to get to put the result out of doubt, you, you know, you were shouting at the TV saying, give it to Ross Byrne, give it to Ross Byrne. They gave it to Ross Byrne and he absolutely nailed it right in the middle. Now, I haven't been Ross's, Ross Byrne's biggest fan, like I'm still not, but there's a sort of a transition that goes by just being consistent, by consistently being there, and then by somebody new coming in, um, it just gives you, I don't know, he... I suppose it is an air of seniority. He has that air of seniority. So there's doubt about Sexton for this weekend. It'll be curious to see if Ross Byrne plays and how he plays, um, you know, given greater experience, plus given that he's very good at certain things. Before we move on to next weekend, you've sort of led me nicely to my the last point that I wanted to raise about the Interpros, which was about, a, a, well, another kicking out half is an example of it in Jack Carty, who... Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but Connacht don't do a box six exit. They just throw it back to their out half and he boots it up the pitch, which I really like. Um, but Jack Hardy's one of a number of players who's really sort of started to shine. He he had a particularly good uh, bunch of Interpros, scored a wonderful try against Leinster, scored another really nice try against uh, Munster in those two excellent games. And himself, along with Quail and Blade and... Uh, the real Sean O'Brien and Tom Farrell, who um, I mentioned as well to you guys beforehand. They're sort of like a bunch of guys who people are like, oh, they should be in, you know, the Ireland training squad or something like that for the Six Nations. And what I had suggested to you guys, and maybe you can give me your opinion on it, is like they've timed their, their run too late. As in like, you know, guys who've never been in a Joe Schmidt squad before, probably have no chance of being in a World Cup now at this stage. Or do you think there is yeah, space? Yeah, no, I'd have to agree because I, I thought I, I, when the lads came back from Australia, I, w- I was amazed if, any, if anybody knew would be put into that. I think yeah. they'd have to have an absolute standout belter of a season. 
to get into that squad because Schmidt prizes familiarity so much. Because this, everyone says like there's so much to learn playing for Joe Schmidt. There's so much to take on board. Uh, pitch side minutes really make a difference. Being in the squad really makes a difference. Um, just knowing can you exist in the squad probably makes a difference. And you know, not necessarily with the other. Just the standard that you have to get in with Schmidt as much as anybody else. Yeah, I think, and it's it's not the it's not the answer that Connacht fans would like to hear, and it's not the answer that a lot of rugby fans, Irish rugby fans, would like to hear. They'd always like to like. I don't think there's. I don't think we're going to see like Brian Carney getting in. <laughs> Brian Carney figured. I don't. There's not going to be any bolters. What's going to happen is that players who. Uh, you or I or anybody might think, oh, yeah, he's probably going to go. When you actually name your 31-man squad, mm. you see that, that there's going to be really good players, really experienced players who just don't make the cut. The, I, the player I'm most interested in over the next, what, three months, sort of cover the Six Nations and the begin of the, the sort of, I don't know, is it going to the knockout round? Yeah, from, April, from this will stage? The, April will be the start of the knockouts. Is Conway. So Conway was a an underage superstar. So ten tries in the in the Junior World Cup over over two World Cups, uh, which at the time was was the top try scorer ever. Uh, scoring tries for Leinster when he was in his teens was one of these guys who would have claimed to be one of the best school footballers ever for for a certain generation, um, and then left Leinster, went to Munster. Munster was strong in the back three. He was from outside. Kind of, is he a fullback? Is he a winger? A bit sort of nobody's child. I think we, we certainly used to talk about Owen Redden with this. Now, Redden had played for it. Like, Redden was an itinerant in terms of, you know, Munster to Connacht to Wasps to Leinster. So, you know, he was all over the place. But he's not the only one. But he, he's the most prominent guy I can think of. But I sort of think um, Conway because Larmour played at fullback and hasn't convinced at fullback at all and it appears to me that it's it's too steep a climb whereas Conway has played at fullback and has done an alright job and Rob Kearney might struggle for fitness at some stage so then Joe has to make a call just because just Rob has, has had like he's he's had so many miles on the clock he's had so many injuries I think he is undoubtedly Joe Schmidt's first choice and the, really the question is who's his second choice plus who does he carry on the bench to cover that back three and Conway's that guy and the thing is you look at Conway's try against uh, Toulon last year you look at that break that he made out of his definitely his own 22 possibly his own dead ball against uh, Connacht at the weekend and you're just like the bloke can run mm. um, and he's a fellow who could really run into form over the next three months and all of a sudden like Larmer is just like the young guy that's going for experience and Conway's the possible joker in the pack for Ireland's back three that's mm. what I'd like to see it. and then the other guy who who I think will be in, in the World Cup squad um, in a very similar vein to Jared Payne is, is Addison who I'm really impressed with um, primarily because he's so he's so like He's he's so like Jared Payne in, in the way that he covers 13 to 15. He has, seems to have an awful lot of time on the ball. He's a really good footballer. And Schmidt rates him. You know, he 
brought him in as soon as he could. Um, you know, so I think that he is more likely to be in the World Cup squad than Tom Farrell, as well as as well as Tom Farrell is playing. Tom Farrell, both who, Farrells. Yeah, both Farrells. Uh, Tom Farrell would, would uh, Chris Farrell is having so many problems with injury at the moment. Yeah, when I say at the moment, he's he's got a quite a bad injury history, and at the moment he's going from you know significant amount of time out, couple of games back, and then another injury. Um, like I'm not I'm not for a minute forgetting he was man the match against Wales and turned in a really accomplished performance in that game. But you know, uh, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. Anyway, Tom Farrell, barrel chested, huge, fast. I love him. Tom Farrell was outstanding in the under twenties in his years, and I would have been twenty thirteen. Uh, he didn't play in the junior World, or Six Nations and came into the squad because he was injured, and he came into the squad for the Junior World Cup. He played two, didn't he? He played two years in that twenties. No, grade? just no. One. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris Farrell played. Uh, Chris Farrell. I played a year but young. His yeah. below his age group. I think he actually missed the next one then. Oh, okay. Um, and and then Leinster brought him into the academy late, but he never played a minute of of uh, pro fourteen rugby for Leinster. One of the very few people who went through the academy full three years without even getting a minute. So, um, it's you Matt, know, his, Matt O'Connor era. Yeah, Ben Teo. Ben Teo played all his minutes. Yeah, but uh, he's he's doing great. He had a really good season last year in a bad Connacht team. They're looking an awful lot better and he's having another very good season. But I, I, just, I just think it's probably come too late for him. Mm, I agree. I also kind of feel like no one really cares how good your fifth choice scrum half is because it's such a specialist position and it never really comes to that. Well, you know, that's this, this will be something we'll cover, I'd say, a, a few times later on in the year. But getting it down to a 30 modern man squad is difficult. There's really there's some tough questions you have to ask about uh, positions in which you pick, which you, which you double up, and players who you, you you leave out who, when you're when you're sort of thinking of players who go to the World Cup, you think oh yeah he'll he'll go, but he may not end up going. The headline fixture for me this weekend is the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday, not Sunday, on Saturday. Uh, Leinster are at home to Toulouse, and the first game um, of that combination in the pool was an absolute belter, which Toulouse won by a point. Uh, one of James Ryan's first ever defeats, I think, maybe his second one. In life. Uh, in <laughs> um, and... Lancaster made a comment recently that um, Toulouse have gotten better since they've beaten Leinster. And they sort of, I guess there's a, there's a feeling that if Leinster uh, were to slip up, they might be in danger of not getting out of their pool. I kind of feel like with another game at home, or another game against Wasps, 
Leinster are probably going to get out of their pool no matter what happens. Leinster have 15 points. Yeah. And there's three second place teams uh, go through. So Glasgow have 14, Ulster have 14, because mm, Montpellier have 11. But so, you know, when you're saying 11 and 9 are the other teams, like 15 puts you a long way ahead. But I think you got to remember that after the Wasps game, people were talking about this Leinster being the greatest club team of all time it's Leinster and the All Blacks and now yeah and now we're talking about Leinster you know are they going to are they going to do well enough to get out of their pool in second place so a lot happens uh, in the space of three or four months mm-hmm. uh, it is an absolute ding dong it's a great fixture there's actually a number of great fixtures it's it's a really good weekend this one um Munster, Munster and Gloucester open it up. Yeah, that's um, going to be interesting. That's a really, that's a really interesting pool because it's twelve points on top with Munster, nine with Cast, eight with Exeter and Gloucester. So all of those teams are still alive. Gloucester um, are a confusing team. I, I saw the. I was over in England. I saw, saw the um, Gloucester just just on the TV, but I was watching it closely because I was surrounded by English people. And uh, extra were pouring that game, and that was in Windy Park. Um, Gloucester got the got a you know a good result, which looked to set them up really well for the double header. Then extra turned them over very handy in uh, in front of the shed. And Gloucester have lost since they got bonus pointed by Sale, who who are on a bit of a run of form now, terrified to death by their coach. And um, <laughs> I just I don't I I I've like that. There's been some great fixtures between Gloucester and Munster. Um and I Munster are going in and they've had, you know they've built up some momentum uh, you know quite quickly with with two good Interpro wins. Um and I I I I fancy them against uh Gloucester but I'm um I I, I, I if you're a Gloucester fan you'd be you just wouldn't know what what uh what to expect from your team? I expect Munster to win, but it could be nervy. Yeah. Games, just away games in the Heineken Cup, this is not news to anybody, but they're they're difficult. You know, they're not the games that you expect. It's not, they don't necessarily uh, go by the recent form line of, of either side. They're just, they're just tricky for if you're, if you're a visiting side. And it's Friday night, so it'll be a raucous, Gloucester, uh, what's the name? Of Gloucester King's Park? Home. King's Home. Sorry, famous. Yeah, so famous. I forgot it. Um, it that'll be raucous, but I think that uh, Munster have the high caliber, very experienced players in Conor Murray first, Peter Armani second, um, and uh, CJ Stander. Obviously, sorry uh, that are they've a very well drilled pack. Yeah. I think I think that they will they will take that one, but it could be. I I don't think it's going to be. Um, the fact that Gloucester is still in it, is, yeah. The fact that Gloucester is still in it makes it like it sh- it should be a smashing match. Yeah, you'd hope it would be a smashing yeah Friday match. night especially. I'm looking forward to that. Um, uh, and then you go back to to Leinster and to and other than just that, this should be an absolute humdinger. I it, it's hard to. Um, it's hard to overstate it. I mean, what's the what are the benefits of finishing top? Well, you get to play at home. Yeah. 
So that is like the single biggest. Do you get weaker standard of opposition? I mean, Leinster won all their matches in the pool, played at home, and then played Saracens. And you're thinking the only good thing about playing Saracens now is that you get to play them at home. Mm. So you don't you don't have to play them in a neutral venue, or yeah. you certainly don't have to play them away. But that's the best that can be said for this. So the team that is whereas if you say say Toulouse win and Leinster finish second and they qualify, Leinster will be one of the away teams. Oh, that would be a nightmare fixture for somebody. Who wants that? Yeah. No one. So it has that strange uh, peccadillo where, like, if you win your away quarterfinal and you can earn a home semifinal, that fucking nonsense rule that they... Yeah, you don't like that. I do. Because it's, so really, it's really difficult to win an away quarterfinal. Yeah, it's really difficult to win your group and become the first seed. And it's like, you earned it. These are, these are, they're both they're conflicting but both valid opinions yeah or Toulouse could finish second yeah and you know they would be then the sixth place team so they'd play the third place team like it looks like that whoever comes out of Munster's group is going to have the lowest so Munster are going to yeah. be in fourth oh no maybe fifth fifth yeah five, playing five against winners, whoever yeah. I'm saying I presume Munster are going to get out playing against whoever is going to be basically coming out of Edinburgh Montpellier's group by the look of things. Yeah. Unless Edinburgh going to turn over Toulon, which will put them on 19 points with the home match to come against Montpellier. Montpellier. Yeah. Um, this is, like, this is why it's a good tournament. Oh, that's why it's a super. You know, yeah. Which shouldn't be changed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the third uh, Champions Cup game featuring an Irish side is on directly after Leinster game on Saturday afternoon where Ulster host Racing 92, Racing Metro. We uh, talked about should Ulster just chuck the Heineken Cup. I'm pulling my collar away <laughs> from my neck. And concentrate on the league. And it wasn't unanimous. And we said if Ulster could win their home matches, it would reinvigorate the crowd that was disillusioned. You've all these guys have absolutely no intention of giving up their season tickets, talking about, oh, I'll give up my season ticket. Thinking, no, you won't. <laughs> what else are you going to do on a Friday night? Um, Bards versus. <laughs> <laughs> so if Ulster can beat Rassing at home, it would be an absolutely enormous win because Rassing are class. Rassing, Rassing I think are, are the best team in the, in the so competition strong. this year. Um, so strong in every unit and want, every want to win this um, Ulster missing Ian Henderson and you can't Huge. afford to be missing your best players against a team as good as Racing but they are at home Ravenhill is a really tough place to come up to. yeah and Racing don't need to win it they're 4 from 4 so far yeah that's a that's a good point I, th- I think like, that certainly no, no, not, that any- that, not that it'll dim their determination they'll want to win it but like it's not uh, they have do a or buffer. die yeah, yeah they have yeah. a buffer um, I find that if 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 Ulster had Ian Henderson I'm not saying it would be a 50-50 game by any means but I would give Ulster pretty good shot Hendo's been a super player for them this season without him the standard of their second rows and uh, I don't mean to criticise their second rows on it's not as good but they're not. So nowhere, don't they're, worry about anybody else. It's just, it's just not as good nowhere near. without. It's not like they're, they're yeah. not as good. They're, they're nowhere near. Yeah, nowhere near. Nowhere near. Yeah. So, like, Leinster in a situation where Devon Toner might be unavailable, and you're going, well, they'll play James Ryan and Scott Fardy. They'll miss Devon Toner. Mm. 
but it ain't bad. Yeah. Ulster missing Ian Henderson, you're going, yeah, you're just not going to replace. Yeah. Um, I think I think it'd be great for Dan McFarland where he to win that match. I think where he to win that match, he that season will be a success. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I think. And I, I agree. think. You know, we, we've, well, we haven't talked, we've written on the blog about how many guys he's blooded, um, how many players he's given an opportunity to. Um, I've seen it referenced in the paper, <laughs> the paper of record as well. Um, and I think that that combination, like if he gets this win and he, like if, if James Hume gets confidence and can sort of score a few tries on the hard ground, playing at second centre, James Hume for example uh, McFarland will have had a very successful season because Ulster don't have the depth but I mean famously referred to as a basket case by yeah not very long ago pain killing addicted prominent <laughs> former Irish captain wild eyed junkie <laughs> lambeg drummer thunder's <laughs> in there that'll knock the wind out of him Someone needs to stop him. 